It's a very small book. If you don't know where it's at, find the book of Hebrews, and it's right before Hebrews, all right? Uh, Philemon. Just got one chapter, 25 verses long. It's not much. It's almost a hiccup in the course of reading through your Bible, and yet it's a strong and important uh, book that I think is... Uh, I was praying this week about what to preach on this morning, and uh, I... Uh, I so love to tell the story of what Christ did for me. And uh, I got to thinking about the story of Philemon and how beautiful of a picture of redemption this is. And I don't know about y'all, but I, I get excited about that stuff. And uh, some people, you know, I've been, in, uh, I've been in camp meetings in Florida before that we've gone to. And people shout and hoot. Right, Mom? <laughs> some of those wave their hankies. Uh, you always, somebody told my dad one time, first, I think it was the first or second camp meeting we went to down there in Florida, told him he had to take two hankies. One was for showing and one was for blowing, he said. And, uh, but they get up and they, they shout and they holler. And a couple of people sometimes will run up and down an aisle just getting excited about the Lord. And you look at that and you think there's a lot of show in that and a lot of people that do that just to, just to kind of put on a show. And some people have the shout. And some people are that way. When they get excited, they just jump up and they just can't take it anymore. They just have to let it out. But uh, God didn't give me that. God gave me leaky eyes. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you what, I sure love Him. I sure love Him. When I think of what He did for me on Calvary, I uh, I grew up in a pastor's home and there were so many years that I sat and tolerated listening through the services. I don't know who had to tolerate it more, myself or my mom. She had to be the one to take me out and whip me when I was misbehaving. And I'd sit there and I'd think, well, when's the message going to be over? And just just didn't have any meaning to me. And, uh, you know, I didn't get into a whole lot of sin when I was young because uh, mom and dad, they didn't, they didn't even let us look cross-eyed. You know, if we got to look cross-eyed, we got in trouble. I uh, couldn't go out and hang out with people and couldn't do things everybody else was doing. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't get into a lot of, a lot of rebellious and, and difficult things. I wasn't into drugs. and I wasn't into a lot of the things a lot of kids were getting into. And it was real easy for me at that age to think God really doesn't have to do a whole lot to save me. Until I realized that if I had been the only one, he would have still had to go to Calvary. And then I realized the significance of being a sinner and what Christ had to do for me on Calvary. And I'll tell you, if you're here this morning, uh, it would do us well from time to time to reflect on Calvary. It would do us well to go back through the Gospels and read the crucifixion account and to think, had it not been for Him, it would have been me. Oh, the, the love that drew salvation's plan, the grace that brought it down to man, that mighty gulf that Abraham spoke about to the rich man and said there's a great gulf 
fixed between us, that great gulf, that chasm that spans between man's sin and God's holiness. Jesus Christ crossed it. And He came over there just for me and just for you. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I died right now. I'd even go to heaven. I, I go to church. I'm religious. You know, can I tell you this? I believe that if God opened our eyes this morning and we could peer into the depths of hell, I believe we would find a lot of religious people that are burning in hell. I think that there's a lot of them. I think there's a lot of moral people today burning in hell. People that perhaps everybody that that knew him thought, boy, what a great person that is. He would give you the shirt off his back. He'd, He'd do everything he could to help you. You ever met anybody like that? Just a good person. Can I tell you, there's a lot of good people in hell today. You say, Brother Greg, why did they end up in hell? Because they never got to the place where they realized they needed a Savior. And I want to help you with something this morning because I think so often we get the wrong impression of God. I I think we get the wrong impression of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think a lot of times, even in our Christian circles, even in our churches, we get the mindset that God is is angry and God is here to judge and to, to cast every sinner He can into hell and it almost brings joy to His heart to condemn them. We almost get in our mindset this bully of a God that's sitting in heaven and can't wait for somebody to to slip off without that. Ah-ha-ha, I got him. He's going to hell. That's not the way our God is at all. Our God is heartbroken that men and women have to go to a place of hell that wasn't even built for them. He's heartbroken. And He loves us so much. The Bible says that even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did it for me. And He did it for you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's not God's desire is not for people to go to hell. God has done everything that is possible short of forcing man. He's done everything possible to keep man out of hell. He puts it in man's hands at that point and He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've loved you with an unfaltering love. I've loved you with a sacrificial love. A love that cannot be exhausted no matter how bad you are. Romans 5 tells us that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And He has done everything He could. And He lays it in your hands. And He says, it's your choice. If mankind dies and goes to hell now, he does it for one of two reasons. Either, number one, he does not know. And that's the travesty of the day we live in. Or secondly, he does not care. I've met very few that just don't care. They may claim that they don't care. But usually it's because they just don't know of the great love that God's had for them. They've made their decision based on 
a picture and a view of God that is nothing like what He really is. They've made their decision based on a God that they look at that is condemning and judgmental. And while our God is a just God, and His holiness does demand a price on sin, He's also a loving God that doesn't desire for anybody to go to hell. And can I tell you this morning, you may have been in church your whole life, but if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, my friend, you're lost. You may be a very religious person, but you could be one of those religious people that when you die one day will stand before God. And you may say, Lord, Lord, I've done this and this and this. I've gone to church. I've taught the Sunday school class. I've worked a bus route. I've been in the choir. I've, I've been a deacon in the church. I've lived a good life. I've tried to do everything that I should do. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Has there been a time in your life that you can point to a specific... You may not remember the exact date. You may not remember the exact time of day, but you can point to an event in your life, a specific time where you said, that was the time and that was the place that I changed my decision from relying on my things that I did to save me to I'm putting my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. Can you point to the time? Can you point to it specifically? I've shared so often my testimony how that for 13 years I lived in a pastor's home and for many of those years knew I was lost but was scared. I was scared of what people would think of a pastor's son who would come forward. I was afraid that I would embarrass my parents. I was afraid they would be embarrassed that here's a, a, son, a son of a pastor who's old enough to have known better a long time ago, and yet here he is, 12, 13 years old, and still doesn't know that he's saved. I, I shudder to think what would have happened if God had taken my life before then. I've shared with our church before the nightmares I would have of the rapture happening. My mom and my dad and my sister all floating up in the air. I don't know why I thought my sister was going, but. I had those nightmares, and I had them over and over and over again. I'd wake up in a cold sweat, afraid to go back to sleep. Afraid that the rapture would happen while I was sleeping, and I'd wake up, nobody would be at home. Folks, I, I love telling them the story of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's not an offensive story as some think, but it's a blessed story. It's a story of a Savior who loved me unconditionally. It's a story of somebody who forgave me things that I really didn't deserve to be forgiven of. A Father in heaven that not only forgives me of my sin and allows His Son to cover my sin for me on His behalf, but a Father in heaven who also adopts me into His family and allows me to be an inherit, have the same inheritance as the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a child of the King today. It had been wonderful. We could have rejoiced. We could have sung all the songs we sing in church if God had just forgiven us of our sin, couldn't we? 
But when we think that he adopted us into his family, that's just a plus. That's beyond. But isn't that just like our God? He adopts us into his family. Those that he had already owned anyway and had to buy back. Gives us a home in heaven for all of eternity. Allows us during this life to come to him in prayer. Do you know what a privilege it is for you and I to be able to come to him and say, Father, what a privilege. I don't have to go through a priest. When I was was little, my sister wanted to be a pastor like my dad. And she used to force me to sit in the corner of the room while she stood up on a little stool and preached at me. I'm thankful Not just that I don't have to go through a priest. I'm thankful I don't have to endure that anymore. (laughs) I can come to God by myself. We laugh and we joke about that, but so can you. What a God that we serve. Well, it's almost time to quit. and We're ready to start the message, so here we go. (laughs) Let's look, if you will, at Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dear, beloved, and fellow laborer. And to our beloved uh, Apphia and Archippus, and our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to the unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved specially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. And if he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught. Put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest, 
unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord, having confidence in this, in thine obedience. I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say, but without, withal prepare me also a lodging. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow, servant, fellow prisoner in Jesus, Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, and the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. Father, we come to you, I pray, for the next couple of moments you would help us to focus our hearts and our minds upon thee. Lord, we thank you this morning for who you are, for loving us, for giving us the opportunity and the great privilege to call you Father. We pray now that you'll bless the remainder of the time we have here together. May your Holy Spirit do his work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. During Paul's third missionary journey, he had a great deal of time that he spent at uh, the area over near Ephesus and a town called Colossae. In fact, Philemon uh, was from the town of Colossae and uh, was in the church of the Colossians and uh, had apparently great wealth. He was a slave owner during that time and uh, had many servants that were bond servants to him and many that were under servitude because of some debts that had been owed to him and uh, had a great many of servants. And one of them was a man by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus was an unsaved man as he served under Philemon. Philemon, uh, of course, was a dear brother. In fact, uh, the term is used by the Apostle Paul. He calls him a fellow laborer. There's only about three other people in Scripture that I could find that Paul referred to as a fellow laborer, those that would labor in the work with him. And uh, some of them he had called fellow prisoners or co-laborers or something like that. But to use this phrase, fellow laborer. And the fact that Philemon quite possibly had a significant impact on um, meeting the material needs of the Apostle Paul throughout many of his journeys and his preaching times was a dear friend of the Apostle Paul. And we find that as we get towards the end of this particular book, uh, Paul says in verse number uh, I think it's around verse number uh, 19 or so. Uh, yes, verse number 19. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self. Besides, there's a great possibility from that verse that, that Paul was the one who personally had led Philemon to the Lord. Philemon uh, had all these servants, and at that time and day when a servant especially a bond servant or a slave servant, would, uh, would leave, they would run away from their owner or their master. The law stated that they could be beaten mercifully if they ever were caught or returned, or they could even be killed if they wanted to, if the owner felt like they needed to take their life from them. Onesimus escapes. We don't know the details of that or how it happened. But somehow Onesimus found his way to the city of Rome where Paul was imprisoned at the time. And through God's provident hand, whether Onesimus sought out the Apostle Paul or whether just by God's provident hand, we're not sure. But regardless, God allowed the path of Onesimus and Paul to cross. 
And God allowed the Apostle Paul to lead Onesimus to the Lord. He put his faith and trust in him and became profitable to the Apostle Paul. He was helping him with serving and, and teaching and preaching and sharing the gospel with others. And at some point, Paul realized and recognized that Onesimus needed to get some things right with Philemon. And so he writes a letter and sends it back in the hand of Onesimus. And he writes a letter beseeching Philemon to accept Onesimus back, not as a servant this time, but as a brother in Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing? The fellowship and the kindredship and the bond that fellow Christians have. I've said so often, my mom even, and I have talked about this, and I think even my sister and I have talked about this before, how many times, sometimes our church family can become as close to us as our own blood relatives. Because we are joined together by the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul beseeches Philemon, he comes to him, he says, I could could demand it, I could come very strongly with you, but he said, I want to come to you in the spirit of love, and I want to ask this of you. You're not, you're not, I'm not forcing you to do it. I'm just asking you a favor, Philemon. He does remind him that, remember, you even owe your salvation to me, but I want to ask you this. I'm not going to force the issue. That you take Onesimus back because he can be profitable to thee and he can be profitable to me. And hopefully, Paul was hoping that Philemon would do so and send Onesimus back to him. Help him and to be a fellow laborer with him. But I want you to notice the picture that is used here. The first part of the chapter, verse 5 through about verse number 7, Paul praises uh, Philemon and, and talks about the good times and the joy that it brings. And then in the middle part of this chapter, you'll find that he's asking Philemon of the favor that he wanted to ask him. But I love this as we look at a few key verses here in verse number. Uh, let's look in verse number 7, if you will. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, that which is convenient, yet for love's sake. And I want you to notice this. If you have a pen, you are in the habit of underlining. I'd like for you, if you would, to underline that phrase. Yet for love's sake. I rather beseech thee. Being such the one as Paul the agent and now prisoner of the Lord Jesus of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. Here we have one of the most beautiful pictures, I think, of redemption in the New Testament. As Paul comes to Philemon, and he says, I want you to understand, I realize that Onesimus has done wrong. He is guilty of that which he is charged with. I understand the penalty that Onesimus is under. But he comes to Philemon and he says, I'm beseeching you for love's sake. I'm beseeching you for love's sake. And isn't that just the way the Lord Jesus Christ is? When we were lost and guilty, and had done the sin and the crime, and were definitely worthy of any punishment that a just God needed to have. Jesus Christ comes to us for love's sake. For no other reason 
that because he loved me. He said, Brother Greg, well, there's got to be other reasons out there too. No, I'll tell you right now. The very best I can do, you know what the Bible calls them? Filthy rags. If I took the very best I had and came to Christ and said, Christ, would you consider doing it for the sake that I've done these righteous deeds? <laughs> He'd look at them and say, they're filthy rags, Greg. Why would I do it for that? I'm thankful he doesn't do it because of my righteousness. If I came to him and said, but I'll, I'll go around and I'll, I'll talk to people about you and I'll, I'll, I'll praise your name and I'll, I'll, I'll be in a, a church and I'll do all the things that you want me to do in the church. I gather all of them up and I lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, would this be enough? He'd look at them and say, they're filthy rags. But I'm thankful I can come to Him. And I can say, for love's sake. Yes, Greg, I'll do it for that. I'll do it for love's sake. Not because you deserve it, but because I love you. That's what Paul was asking Philemon. He said, don't do it based on Onesimus' merits. The truth is, he's been an unfaithful servant. He's run away. He's guilty. He knows the penalty. He's laying himself at your mercy and saying, would you do it for love's sake? I want you to notice as we continue to read on down verse number 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him that is my own bowels. They we trusted Christ as our Savior. The Bible says we were born again, not of incorruptible seed, but or but of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Jesus was telling Nicodemus, I believe it was, you must be born again. He said, How can I be born again? How can I enter into my mother's womb again? He said, I'm not talking about being born of the water coming through the womb. He said, I'm talking about being born of the Spirit. Made new. And you hath he quickened. That word quickened means made alive. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Aren't you glad this morning that the day you trusted Christ as your Savior, you became of the vows of the Lord Jesus Christ? You became part of His family. You were born again. The Bible says, Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead He might have ministered unto me in the bonds of gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps He therefore departed for a season. Isn't that what we did? We departed for a season. We were lost in our trespasses and our sins. That thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. 
And I love this. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. That's our message this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ comes to the Father on behalf of every one of us sitting here today and everyone that's ever been born in this world. And He says, if they owe you aught, Father, if they owe you anything, if there's a payment for their sin, it doesn't matter what it is, put that on my account. Well, I don't know about you all, but that's, as a Christian, is exciting to me. You say, Brother Greg, I, I don't know about the Christian life. It's just kind of dull. Not when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, our love begins to swell in our hearts where we can't hardly contain it anymore. And that Christian life all of a sudden becomes something that's thriving and living and breathing inside of us. Now it becomes something that energizes us and the power of the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives. How can we ever say the Christian life is dull? How could we ever say that the Christian life is boring? Say, Brother Greg, we need to have more, more fun stuff at our church. No, we just need to get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We need to have more love for Him, and our eyes need to be open to who He is. And when we get to the place where we realize there are things that we may owe Him, He comes to the Father and He says, Greg owes this, but I want you to take it, and I want you to put the hat on my account. And he says, I will pay it. Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. Oh, what joy and rapture thrills our hearts and our souls. There may be some folks in a camp meeting might get up and shout and run around and wave a hanky. There might be some like I do and their eyes begin to leak as we just ponder Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. I wonder this morning, as we've taken just a moment to look at this joyful and wonderful account, this beautiful picture of what Christ did for us, it illustrates it so cleanly and perfectly. If He hath wronged thee or owe thee aught, put that on my account what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. Man, that ought to cause a Christian this morning to say, I've lost the fire, but I want it back. I've lost the excitement and the zeal, but I want it back. I've lost my faithfulness. Boy, there used to be a time that I, I was so involved in ministry, and I want it back. There was a time where my heart overflowed with joy of my salvation. And I want it back. Maybe this morning we need to just ponder who God is. If He owe the ought, put that on my account. Put it on my account. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. Can I tell you this? He sure loves you. He loves you just the same as He loved me. And He longs for you to be saved. He wants for you to. He's made it very easy and freely available. But He's not going to force you. 
He's not going to twist your arm and make you do it. But it's his heart's desire. The greatest news and greatest story ever been told. And can be told with the greatest joy that's ever been told before. It makes it easy to go out to a lost and a dying world and tell them about a Savior like this, doesn't it? It makes it kind of easy when someone who's lost, you can come up to them and with tears streaming down your face and a smile on your face say, let me tell you about the Savior that I have. Oh, he's something else. He came to me and said, if he owe ought, put that on my account. You can trust him today. You say, well, I've, Brother Greg, I've been in church. I've taught Sunday school. I've, I, I've done everything there is to do at the church. Are you saved? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? I'll tell you this. I promise you this. And I can tell you this from personal experience. The day I got saved at 13 years old, November the 15th, 1983, kneeling down in Brother Durstock's office. I can remember the time, I can remember the place, I can remember the chair I was sitting in. I came out of that room nervous, wondering what are people going to say. And I was amazed. You know what? People were happy that I got saved. They weren't criticizing, they weren't ridiculing, they weren't giving me a hard time about putting it off for so long. There were people, there were Christians that were actually excited about the fact that I got saved. Isn't that amazing? I mean, even Christians can get excited about that. Amen? If you're here this morning, you say, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. And I'm afraid what everybody would say. Can I tell you this? I'll tell you in this church, there wouldn't be a happier church around than this church this afternoon if somebody came forward and said, I need to trust Christ as my Savior. Oh, we'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can know. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. It's not been our typical message for Sunday morning. But from time to time, we need to be reminded of the goodness of God. We need to lift Him up. We need to rejoice in what He's done for us. There may be some Christians here that have lost that fire. They've lost that zeal. They've lost their passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I, can I ask you this morning, would you be willing to come to Him and say, Lord, I want it back. I want it back. I, there might be somebody here that does not know if they died right now that they'd go to heaven. Can I urge you in just a moment as the pianist plays through a hymn of invitation to come forward and let us take the Bible and show you how you can be saved this morning. Father, we pray that you bless the invitation time. Use it as you would see fit. May your Holy Spirit work. Do his work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, the piano is going to be playing. If God